Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized. Until today. I'm Cher Martinetti, and this is Sci-Fi Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. If you attended a performance by Sun Ra and his orchestra during their heyday, you might have initially been overwhelmed. The orchestra never went anything less than all out. That meant otherworldly music, eye-popping costumes, and an embrace of Afrofuturism long before the term was coined. The orchestra didn't perform to alienate, but to communicate. Your anchor would be the woman on stage in fantastical garb, striking poses inspired by Egyptian hieroglyphics, and singing in a voice rich with both power and emotion. Through her, you could find your way to the orchestra's wavelength. June Tyson was the first female member of Sun Ra's orchestra. But there is precious little information available about her. Despite her long tenure with the band, she's often shortchanged when it comes to discussing the orchestra. Even John F. Sved's definitive biography of Sun Ra, Space is the Place, relegates Tyson to the background. She only makes 10 appearances in the book, and most of those are merely mentioning that she was on stage. But she was far more than just a moon in Sun Ra's orbit. This is the story of June Tyson. After the end of the world. Don't you know that yet? It's after the end of the world. Don't you know that yet? It's after the end of the world. Don't you know that yet? June Tyson was born on February 5th, 1936, in Albemarle, North Carolina. She later moved to New York City, where she met and married Richard Wilkinson, a light and sound technician. She was an actress and a singer, often performing as a lounge singer in Harlem. By 1968, the couple was working together on a Broadway showcase series in Harlem's Jackie Robinson Park. There, a man named Lem Roebuck came to see them. Roebuck had recently become the part-time manager for an avant-garde jazz band called The Orchestra. When he saw Tyson perform, he saw a new opportunity for the all-male orchestra to expand its appeal. He approached the couple and asked them if they were interested in meeting the orchestra's enigmatic leader, Sun Ra. The couple agreed to attend a rehearsal at the Third Street building the orchestra called home. And they never left. Equation-wise, the first thing to do is to consider time as officially ended. To really know Tyson's story, we have to understand Sun Ra's. The orchestra was a band, but it was also a musical commune. And at the heart of it was Sun Ra, a man of immense musical talent and spiritual charisma. Like Tyson, Sun Ra was from the South, 
He was born Herman Poole Blunt on May 22nd, 1914 in Birmingham, Alabama. After graduating high school, Blunt worked as a professional musician in Birmingham. At the age of 22, he was awarded a scholarship to Alabama Agricultural and Mechanical University, where he studied music education. However, he dropped out after like a year or two. According to him, he left after having a vision of visiting Saturn, told by cosmic beings that the world was going to fall into chaos. It was his duty, the vision told him, to drop out of college and speak to the world through music. Whether or not this vision actually occurred while Blunt was in college is unclear, due to his um, penchant for shrouding his origin story in mystery. But this story is foundational to the creation of Sun Ra. When Blunt was drafted in the early 1940s for World War II, he became a conscientious objector and spent time in jail for his refusal to serve. After he was classified as 4F and thus exempt, he left Birmingham for Chicago. There, he was exposed to African-American activism in Egyptian history as he pursued his musical career. In 1952, he changed his legal name to Lissonnière and began to build the avant-garde jazz ensemble, the orchestra, with other Black musicians. In the fall of 1961, Sun Ra and the orchestra relocated from Chicago to New York City. When June Tyson and her husband met the orchestra, the band was performing regularly at Slug's Saloon in the East Village. Its members lived together in what they called a, quote, raw house on 3rd Street. The rehearsal Tyson and her husband attended showed them Sun Ra's way of doing things. Sun Ra was infamous for being a precise disciplinarian. Rehearsals would last half a day or longer and often featured philosophical lectures. Members had to be, quote, on at all times to interpret Sun Ra's occasionally vague directions, lest they suffer a unique punishment. If they failed to live up to Sun Ra's exacting standards, they had to sit on stage at the next performance so they could be publicly shamed. But Tyson responded to the improvisational atmosphere of the rehearsal. She sang Somebody Else's World, a space cha-cha that would become one of her most iconic numbers. At the end of the rehearsal, Ra told Tyson she was hired. Or rather, he simply told her when the next performance was. Just like that, she came on board as a singer, a dancer, and the group's first female member. The orchestra had worked with a female trombone player back in Chicago, but there was a world of difference between the musicians the orchestra would work with and the actual members of the group. Sun Ra's attitude towards women was not great. The orchestra was built to accomplish Sun Ra's divine purpose on Earth, and he considered women a distraction from that purpose. According to member Tyrone Hill, Sun Ra and Tyson dealt with this wrinkle by framing her not as a woman, but as an angel. Despite this, Sun Ra would still occasionally ask her to leave the room if he was having difficulty working. Tyson was soon joined in the orchestra by Verda May Smart Rosner, who spent three years with the band before becoming a noted food writer and broadcaster. According to Smart Rosner, we had to develop roles which fit with the orchestra, so we decided to be space goddesses. On stage, Tyson wasn't just a singer or a dancer. She considered herself a song stylist, translating the eclectic vibes of the orchestra for the listener. Sun Ra's poetic visions of cosmic black freedom could be lofty, but Tyson made them accessible with her rich, emotive voice. 
According to bandmate Tyrone Hill, it wasn't always easy for musicians to understand what Sun Ra was trying to say. But Tyson understood it on a fundamental level. Quote, she could just come onto the stage, Hill said. Sometimes she wouldn't even have to sing. Offstage, Tyson set an example for the rest of the band. She was just as precise and disciplined as Sun Ra could want. Even if she occasionally had a run on stage to hit a mark she hadn't been told about. She and Sun Ra grew close enough that she offered him advice on choreography, costuming, and life. When the orchestra left New York City for Philadelphia, Tyson's Harlem apartment became the band's New York headquarters, fitting 10 or 15 members into a two-bedroom apartment. As her friend Susan Pearlstein remembered, Tyson always found a way to cheer her bandmates up, with a token or just a kind word. Shortly after Tyson came on board in 1968, the orchestra embarked on a world tour that would last for 25 years. In between performing in Europe and Egypt, the orchestra expanded its reach. Sun Ra became the artist-in-residence at UC Berkeley in 1971, sharing the lectures he'd previously reserved for the orchestra with the public. In 1972, Sun Ra and the orchestra collaborated with San Francisco television producers to create Space is the Place, a surreal sci-fi film featuring the band. It was on the set of Space is the Place that Tyson discovered something. She told filmmaker Peter Hines, I found out I don't care for acting because you're ready, but the camera isn't. As the decades-long tour went on, Tyson became the band's road manager, formalizing the amount of labor she'd already been doing for the band. And as Sun Ra aged and his health deteriorated, she became particularly attuned to smoothing over his moments of frailty on stage. She made sure he could hit his marks without ever drawing attention to it. But as kind, attentive, and relentlessly positive as Tyson was, she wasn't afraid to stand up for herself. Around 1988, Sun Ra gave Tyson a violin. She had never played before, but she spent the next two years teaching herself how to. The orchestra incorporated her new skill into their performances. In 1990, while touring in France, the orchestra was slated to participate in a jazz symphonique concert at the Carré St. Vincent Theatre in Orléans, France. For the performance, the orchestra was given 19 classical musicians to assist, including a violin section. When Tyson joined the violinist for rehearsals in Paris, however, her self-taught technique rubbed them the wrong way. After two violinists told her off for, quote, reading their music, she went out and purchased an enormous amount of sheet music. At the next rehearsal, she produced her musical hoard and told the violinist that this was, quote, her music. No touching. In 1991, Tyson played her last concert with the orchestra on the 4th of July, when the band opened for Sonic Youth at Summer Stage in Central Park. Sonic Youth guitarist Thurston Moore was a huge fan of the group. But by then, Tyson was already battling breast cancer. She was secretive about the disease. While her children asked her to go see a doctor, she instead went on vacation with a close friend who had no idea that she was sick. June Tyson died on November 24th, 1992. Six months later, Sun Ra would follow. That's like, how good are you? Here it is. You know? Well, I, you don't think about it like that. It just, we're willing to doing this tone. <laughs> 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 you might think about it later, but no, you don't really think about it. You're just doing his tone. And it's fun, you know. In her rare interviews, Tyson was always quick to characterize her contributions to the band as simply doing what she was told. In 1987, she told Phil Shep, Sun Ra presents a story and we are merely the players. 
So you try to be as adaptable as possible. When Shep asked if she could make suggestions, Tyson responded that she could if she wanted to, but she didn't see any reason to. That presents an interesting quandary when discussing Tyson's legacy. How do you highlight Tyson's contributions to the orchestra and Afrofuturism without speaking over her? Well, we have to shift our own perspective. Is the orchestra simply Sunra's backing band meant only to prop him up? Or is it a community inspired by his message? All signs point to the latter, as the orchestra still tours to this day, with singer Tara Middleton stepping into Tyson's shoes as a lady oracle. Perhaps Tyson wasn't disavowing her own power with comments like that. Maybe she was focusing on the power of the community that she so believed in. She wasn't a moon in Sun Ra's orbit. She was a Satorian queen all on her own. Forgotten Luna Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Claire McBride and read by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at SciFiFangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SciFiFangirls. Fangirls. 